If you are new, welcome to Element. There are Bibles in the back. If you do not own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes on all the communion tables. If you have a smartphone, you can download an app called Uversion. Click on Live and get all the notes and verses as we go through this. Now, last week, I showed you pictures of James's wedding. And I told you guys to pray. And apparently you did not. Because he was on the ship that's down in the Gulf of Mexico that caught on fire. So apparently he and Haley had a wonderful honeymoon with no running water, spam, bottled water, Pop-Tarts. He does get a free cruise, but I don't know if I want to live through that. On my honeymoon. You do get a... Yeah. You can't really go downhill from that. So thank you so much for praying. <laughs> so, all right, now I mentioned this last week. In, a, in, the begin, in January, we're going to be doing a, uh, a money class, uh, Financial Peace University. And I told you guys the cost for the course from the people we're doing it is 96 bucks. So I told you to save 8 bucks a week. So I'm just asking you, did you save your 8 bucks? Yes, somebody said yes. Start saving your eight bucks a week, so you get there. Yeah. The other thing, the other thing, the guy leading the class wants you to do is actually start to save all your receipts too. Anytime you spend money on anything for the next couple months, save all of your receipts because we're going to help you guys make a budget too, so you can live within your means. Live within your means. I just closed escrow on a house this week. I don't understand that concept right now. So. Uh, next Sunday, we are doing baptisms. You are all invited to come. I have two things about baptisms. If your name starts, at, last name is A to M, you're supposed to bring a dessert with you to this baptism. If it is N through Z, you're supposed to bring a salad. If it rains next week, we will probably postpone the baptisms because there's no fun having like soup and salad and dessert in the rain. So it might get postponed. We have like a 60% chance of rain according to the forecast, but it changes all the time. So if it changes and it's going to be sunny, good to go. You should all sign up for the email update because I'll talk to you about it in it this week. OurElement.org, sign up for the email update. You'll get a kind of just like this, like scattered all over the place, and you'll totally enjoy it. Uh, bring a lawn chair. Come out to the baptisms. You'll really enjoy it. There will be maps next week for you as well. All right. Once you guys stand there, you're reading to God's Word. This is Colossians chapter 3, verse 13. And it says, Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Let's pray. Father, we ask that this morning we would live as your people in such a way that we learn to forgive as you have already forgiven us. That our lives would show who you are by how we live as your children. That you would gain glory by the things that we do and how we speak to those around us. Amen. Have a seat. So we are in week six of a series called Made. It's a topical series, so just go with me on that. Uh, I really thought that these messages were going to be shorter, and you guys are going to be like out of here in like 25 minutes every week. But it's not turning out that way. Sorry, they're just as long as ever. Uh, today might appeal to you a lot on how you feel about me and I, when I frustrate you and talk for a long time, because we're going to talk about how to deal with difficult people. 
who apparently speak long messages. Uh, if you're if you are not new uh, or you haven't been here for if you are new haven't been here for a few weeks, we're doing this series that I'm calling Made. It's how that God has made every single person on the planet unique. He likes that uniqueness. If there are two of me on this planet, one of us would have to die. That's, that's how it works. It is, inter- it is interesting. The whole idea of uniqueness is what many religions rail against. They think that everybody goes to heaven. We all look the same. We act the same. We like the same things. But I don't think so. I think that God loves the uniqueness that is us. All the quirks that make us who we are. So we've been looking at how that uniqueness plays into who God made us to be and who we're supposed to become by His grace. Central to becoming who God calls us to be, we have to understand ourselves and our humanity. But again, here's my disclaimer. Don't misunderstand me on this. When I say we're going to help you understand you, it's not because you are so great and wonderful. It's because you are terrible. And I am terrible. And Jesus is good. We are the problem. He is the solution. So in this series, my goal is to help you to understand how God God sees you, that your hope must be in Christ, that your vision and focus must be on Christ to ever understand who you are. The first week in this series, that's basically what we talked about. You've got to trust God, that He made you how He wanted you to be, even if you don't understand it all the time. The second week, we talked about spiritual growth, and that one size doesn't fit all. We're all different, so we're all going to grow a little bit differently. The third week, we talked about how your greatest strength can also be your greatest weakness. The fourth week, we talked about how to be truly human. And then last week, we talked about how to deal with worry. And again, this week, we're going to talk about how to deal with difficult people. Why? Because God doesn't just save you and then all left behind book you and rapture you out of here. He leaves you on the planet because he intends for you to be be his ambassador to the entire world. Okay, so he doesn't take you out. He says you're going to stay there. And when you stay here, you will have difficult people to deal with. But you know what? You are the difficult person someone else has to deal with. So you learn how to deal with it. So, all right. So open your Bibles to John chapter 13, verse 35. And I want you to keep your finger here because we're going to keep coming back to this all morning. This verse, John 13, 35. Fourth book, New Testament. If you've got a Gideon Bible to be like your sixth book because they do like Psalms and Proverbs and then the New Testament. So you stole it from the hotel down the street. John 13, 35. Read this with me. What does it say? By, oh boy, you guys are like terrible in school weren't you (laughs) by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another one more time excellent okay keep your finger there we're going to keep coming back to that one of the greatest witnesses for the gospel of jesus christ is how god's children treat each other So today we're going to help you to learn how to do that, treat each other well. Sometimes we give other people too much power over us. They pull us away from who God calls us to be. Some people will judge you. Some people will make you feel discouraged. Some people will dislike you. Some people will reject you. Some people in your life will be a little black hole of need that keeps sucking all the energy out of your life. Anybody know people like that? Right? If you're like, I don't know anybody like that, well, that's probably you then. Okay? So... (laughs) Some people, you know, with other people in this, they anger you or scare you or depress you. We call those family. Okay. If, if you look through history, you'll see of annoying people and all this. Two people always stand out that really just did not like each other. And I love the stories about these two guys. George Bernard Shaw and Winston Churchill. 
in order to really get to know George Bernard Shaw, he's the kind of guy, he went to a dinner party one time, he sits next to someone else who he feels is pompous that keeps talking this entire dinner party. And so what he does, finally he gets kind of fed up with it, and he looks at the other guy and he says, you know, between you and I, we know all that there is to know. And the other guy says, how's that? And George Bernard Shaw says, well, you seem to know everything in the world except that you're a bore, and I know that. So Sean and Winston Churchill, they found each other difficult people, but that this relationship actually strengthened the two of them. Uh, one time, George Bernard Shaw sent Winston Churchill tickets to one of his opening, opening night of one of his plays with the instructions. He says, bring a friend if you have one. <laughs> so Winston Churchill sends him back because he can't attend opening night with the instructions. I'll come on the second night if there is one. <laughs> now, keep your finger in John, but open to Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. So you're going to keep your finger in those two spots all morning because we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5 and, and John chapter 13. Now, we all have difficult people in our lives that we have to deal with, but God can use them to help you become who He intends for you to be, maybe even more than the people you like. Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 43, Jesus says this. Did you get You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And this perfect is referring to how God loves people. Now, back in the book of Ephesians, I told you about Amy Carmichael. She was a missionary to India in the early 20th century. And she gives this great illustration about a glass of sweet water and a glass of dirty, bitter, nasty water. If you bump a glass of sweet water, what's going to come out? Sweet water. You bump a glass of bitter water, what's going to come out? Bitter water. It's not the bump that filled the glass. It just knocked out what was inside. You and I are people through our entire lives. We will get bumped. We will get sinned against. Life is like that. It's disappointing. People will injure you. And we will have a propensity to lash out and say, look at what you made me do. When we should really be saying, look at what you revealed in me to be. Because that's the honest answer. They didn't change you. You get to simply see who you are and what's inside. Other people don't create your spirit. They reveal your spirit. And if God wants to grow some quality in you, He usually sends some person into your life to tempt you in the exact opposite way. It's like this. If you need to develop love, some unlovable person is going to show up in your life that you have to love. Usually they're called your neighbor, but they show up in your life. If you need to develop hope, you will have people show up who are discouragers, and you have to maintain hope in the midst of discouragement. If you want to grow in your ability to confront someone, usually someone who will be a hard-to-confront person will show up in your life, and you'll have to learn how to do that. Just like lifting weights strengthens a muscle, cardio strengthens a heart, difficult people can strengthen our ability to love. Proverbs 27, verse 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And you may have asked, you know, why does God allow difficult people in my life? Really, what other kind are there? That, that's all there is. If God were to get rid of all the difficult people in the world, you know, everybody with quirks and flaws and uglinesses and sin, there'd be nobody left, including you. 
Okay, so too often we sit around, we complain about other people wanting God to give us this life without difficult people. That's crazy. You look all throughout the scriptures and you will see everybody has difficult people in their lives. Moses had Pharaoh, Elijah had Jezebel, Esther had Haman, Jacob had Laban, David had Saul, John the Baptist had Herod, Jesus. He has Judas, then he has the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the Essenes and the Zealots. He's got everybody. You are, and, and then you are the difficult person that God is sending someone else's way. So cheer up. You're, you're good with that. And if we can become who God calls us to be, if we have this living water flowing in and through us, our relationships and who God calls us to be and growing into who we're made to be, we will be unstoppable for His kingdom by becoming who He calls us to be. So let's help you be you. How do you grow with the difficult relationships into who God made you to be? Number one, I say this all the time. The big E on the I chart is... Jesus, Jesus, you keep Jesus as the center, always. Now, a while ago, I took my old dog to obedience school when we first got her because she really needed it because she was crazy. Uh, if you have ever been or never been to obedience school, you should go because it's a very humbling experience for the owner of the dog because you're going to school, not your dog. About four weeks into my uh, dog training school, this new dog shows up. Apparently, he got kicked out of the class he was in, so he starts coming to ours. His name is Bob. Now, Bob is a mutt, much like my, my, much like my mutt, but my mutt is way bigger. It's a guy thing. Just go with it. You know? And so I, I don't remember anything about this class except for Bob's arrival and his insistence on making my life miserable whenever his owners weren't looking because he kept making my dog want to eat him all class long. We would sit down and we'd be like, oh, this is great. And all of a sudden his owners would get distracted. Here would come Bob off leash coming over and taunting my dog. And my dog, like, like I told you, gigantic. She's like, was like 110, 115 pounds. And she'd be like, oh, and she'd pull me and my chair across the floor. And the teacher would look at me and she'd go, today we're learning how to wait. And I'm like, I don't know if talking to me or the dog, but I do have a problem with patience. So I, you know, I'm like, I don't know what to do with this. On graduation day, the teacher has everybody run this little obstacle course. And yet my dog and I, we come in last. Um, but we got a diploma because apparently nobody fails. Or she never wanted to see me again. I don't know how that, that works. I look at it in a biblical sense like the last shall be first. So Zan and I, we were number one. <laughs> now, in, in March, Zan died. Okay, so, so my big dog died. And... Uh, my kind of time goes on. My wife's like, you need a puppy because, you know, you're, you're just totally lonely. I'm like, okay. So I got, I got a new puppy. And I'm debating, do I take this puppy to, to school or not? And I found this place. I can't do it. It's too expensive. But I found this place that you go and you drop your dog off. And, you hand, and, they, and they train them for three or four weeks. And all of a sudden, they, they, they come back. And every response from the dog is prompt and eager and wholehearted, unquestioning obedience. When they come home, it's like, it's all about you. Whatever you say, that's it. Now, and, then I, and so I heard it, and I'm thinking, wouldn't this be great if there's a place for people like that? <laughs> you go in a center, you come out a saint. You go in with your problems, you come out with them all fit. Wouldn't that be awesome? But there isn't a place like that. You know why? Because we all have a soul. Because God made us distinct and unique. And everyone has this inner place in the deepest part of us that only God meets us. This deep place inside. Only God can touch the deepest place inside of another person. We cannot touch that as much as we want to. Only Jesus can. So for us, prayer becomes the closest we come to being able to influence people on that deep level. To be able to go with Jesus into another person's soul. Because between you and another person always stands Christ. The best way to affect another person is prayer, is Jesus as the center. I mean, I have this one person in my life. 
drives me nuts. Recently came back into my life, and we've been talking again. Uh, you know, they think they know everything. They're, they're rude. It's not me. Okay, just, you know. And I knew I had to have a conversation with this person. So I started, actually started to pray for this person, for our conversation. And I realized as I start to pray for this person, that I don't have to control the outcome. You know, I don't have to make the other person agree with me. I don't even have to talk well. I simply have to show up. The rest is up to Christ. And so that's what I do. When Jesus becomes the center of everything, we become less afraid of other people. We become more bold in what God calls us to do. We become less controlling of other people. John 13, 35 says... John 13, 35 says... You are my disciples and read in unison. Yeah. Okay. Number two. Number two. Make the choice to love like God loves. In, in driver's ed, they tell you, as you drive along, you're supposed to leave one car space distance for every 10 miles an hour of speed. Okay? So sometimes, right? Yeah, okay, so sometimes, we, none of us do that, but sometimes in tough relationships, you have to leave that distance there for God to do His work. Matthew 5, 44, okay? Two fingers in those two spots, okay? Matthew 5, 44, Jesus says, But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. What do sons of our Father in heaven look like? We love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. Now, there have been many studies done on what makes people like somebody else. In these studies, they filter through physical attractiveness, IQ, ability, personality type. But do you know what the number one factor is in whether you will like somebody or not? Number one, Anybody? Whether they like you, that's the number one factor in whether they like someone. If they like you, you like them. If they don't like you, you don't like them. You'd be like, oh, you know, that Mother Teresa doesn't like me. I always thought she was shallow. (laughs) It's kind of dumb. It's humbling to realize. But if there's someone I have never liked and I find out they say some nice things about me, I'm like, oh, well, they're kind of smart too. I've got these these two friends, And, and, and I love them both. And they sometimes had this little thing going with each other. And, and one of them was just talking about this friend, friend of mine. And they were like, oh, you know, they do this and they don't do that. And, blah, blah, blah. and I go, oh, you know what they say about you? And they're like, what? And I said, they said you're on top of the ball. You're smart. You really care about stuff. And the other person goes, well, I guess they're not so bad. <laughs> it's crazy. God doesn't react and respond the way that we do. God loves people who love Him. God loves people who don't even love Him yet. And, and He does this because it's who He is. It's part of His character. I mean, God doesn't get up and say, Oh, you know, well, I'm God. I guess I'm stuck with having to love people. Wish I didn't have to. Love is God's choice. I mean, for God to love people, that is almost really the only choice in the entire universe that's totally free. And God is the one who makes it. He decides to love His people. And God does it because His love is the way that true people are supposed to live. We love like God loves. John 13, 35. One more time, everybody. John 13, 35. You're going to memorize this before you go home. John 13, 35. Excellent. Number three. Number three, listen to God's Spirit. I say this in a lot of the weeks we talk about this as well. You must be listening to the Spirit of God. Uh, God's Spirit leads you in ways to do the right thing. Now, many times in our lives, when we have difficult people, we get angry. Anger is not bad, but anger at times is prone to remove you from who God calls you to be. Ephesians 4, 30 to 32 says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. This means do not shut Him off. Do not fail to listen. Don't swim in the opposite direction of living water. 
And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave, past tense, you. I believe that God has wired us so in intense times of difficulty, we cry out to Him so that we would turn to His Spirit for help. Now, the primary place in our brains that processes negative strong negative emotions such as rage or fear is what's called the amygdala. Now, when this is removed from certain animals, they become incapable of rage and fear. Normally, for you and I, when thoughts go into our brain, it goes to the neocortex for processing. It's like, well, this goes here, and this goes here, and it goes to where it's supposed to go. But in times of intense emotional stress, about 5% of the time, all those thoughts will actually bypass the neocortex and go to the amygdala, and you'll just freak out and go a little crazy. It's kind of like this. There's like a mom in a grocery store. She's in a hurry. She's stressed. She's got all kinds of stuff going on, and she's got a 3-year-old and an 18-month-old in the cart. She's going down the aisle, and the three-year-old goes, Cocoa Puffs! I'm cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. And pulls them off the shelf, opens the top, and starts digging. And the mom's like, put it down! Cocoa Puffs! And then put it down! And the cranky kid goes, boom, and throws them on the ground. Meanwhile, the 18-month-old has a jar of jelly, and it's like, oh, it looks like butter. Boom, jar goes on the ground. I've seen it happen. I've I've been in the grocery store for this. And all of a sudden, what happens at this point is what researchers call an amygdala hijack. That's what it's called. And all of a sudden what happens is the mom goes ballistic. There is no more thinking process involved. She picks up the three-year-old. She's shaking the cart. She's yelling. She just goes nuts. She's out of control. The kid's yelling, put me down, please. This is what's called cognitive incapacitation. Rational thought no longer becomes... You're probably thinking, man, this is how I live my entire life. This is right there. Now, there is an aspect of our circuitry that I believe God built into us as people. I think it gives us hope. Impulses in the brain can be measured during neurosurgery. How long it takes for your, like your brain says, move my hand, and then your hand actually moves. There's a latency in that, and it ends up being about a quarter of a second. It doesn't feel like there's one to you because it feels instantaneous, but there's about a quarter second latency in when that takes place. And so I think that's huge in brain timing because in Ephesians 4.26 it says, In your anger do not sin and do not give the devil a foothold. I think God intentionally gave us a quarter second latency because in that moment when it's like, I'm going to... You stop and you say, God, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to shake my kid like they're a rag doll? Do you want me to yell at my husband, yell at my wife? What do you want me to do here? And you take that second and you stop and you say, Spirit... Lead me, guide me, I need to listen to you and do what you're telling me to do. Because in that moment, you can either give the foothold to the Holy Spirit or you can give in to sin, one or the other. That quarter of a second literally can be huge in brain timing. And the Holy Spirit can lead you where He wants you to go. It is amazing how the desire to hurt someone you love can be so strong in your body one moment and then the next lead to such pain when you indulge it. It is why we are called to listen to God's Spirit. I'll give you good news, though. When you blow it, and you will blow it, God sends another quarter second right behind it. And remember, the Holy Spirit in your life, He is never anxious, He is never worried, He is never out of control. Full control. That's who He is. Listen to the Spirit, especially in relationships with other people, because John 13, 35 says, Thank you to the right-hand side of the room. All right, number four, last one. Learn from the master. 
masters Jesus, in case you didn't know. Learn from the master. Nobody masters the art of dealing with difficult people more than Jesus did. And Jesus has lots of practice in this. The Romans wanted to silence him. The Herod wanted to kill him. Pilate washed his hands of him. Religious leaders envied him. His family thought he was lost his mind. His townspeople's wanted to stone him. Judas betrays him. Soldiers beat him. The crowds cried for his crucifixion. His own disciples run out on him. And yet Jesus never prayed for the Father to remove them from his life. Because if he did remove all the difficult people, again, there'd be no people left at all. And sometimes, if you start praying to God, God, remove this person or, or get rid of this out of my life, I think if God answered these prayers most of the time the way that we wanted, we would actually lose the opportunity for growth that God so much wants for his people. So I'm going to show you two ways uh, that I think you look at Jesus' teaching and two ways of growth in this. Uh, again, in Matthew chapter 5, and the first one is this, how you deal with people who insult you. How you do people insult you? Matthew 5, 38 and 39 says, You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. What that literally means is do not become like that evil person. Uh, if someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Now an eye for an eye comes from the Hebrew Scriptures. A lot of people today think an eye for an eye sounds very harsh. But it's actually not. It was an enormous step forward in the legal world of that day. There are no policemen. There's no constitution, no bill of rights. Powerful people could kill somebody for any minor cause that they felt like whatsoever. And so this law limited retribution by teaching proportional justice. There's a huge fly around my head right now. It's driving me crazy. So when, when we get hurt, our first instinct is to lash out, hurt somebody else back. And the pain that we experience always seems less than we then would inflict on somebody else. There's another study done, a group of subjects, they're paired up. And one of these people, they'd say, okay, we're going to squeeze your finger into the point where it hurts, then you're going to turn around and squeeze the person's finger next to you. And, then so, and they measured those squeezing and how much it actually hurt. And what they found out, 100% of the time, they always inflicted more pain than they received, 100% of the time. The result is an eye plus a little something extra for an eye. But Jesus, he's got another option. Society in Jesus' day, it is built around shame and honor. The left hand was considered unclean. You would do stuff with it that you wouldn't want to be eating after you were done with it. So you, you didn't use it for anything, so you just kind of get rid of that. And you never use it for hitting. So a blow to somebody's right cheek, would be done with your right hand. They'd be sent across you and you would backhand them. Boom. I, I fight you. I don't know. Makes me, I guess, well, apparently they're not French, but whatever. Um, the intent is not physical harm. The intent is actually public disgrace. A backhanded slap is what you do to a social inferior such as a slave or a child. So when someone insults us, what do we do? Jesus, Jesus says your safety and your honor are in the hands of your heavenly father. And so you see Jesus' creativity in this. If you could turn the other cheek, the enemy can no longer backhand you because you've turned it and they can't get it to it. And so he changes the whole dynamic because now either your enemy has to fight you as an equal, which he doesn't want to do, or he has to find a nonviolent, non-destructive way to resolve the conflict. Jesus is brilliant. When we get insulted, our first instinct is lash out and get back at that person. But with the Spirit of God, there is new possibility. You don't run and hide. You don't strike back. You confront the other person with honesty and strength. Creative, patience, active, always working towards reconciliation. And the second thing in this is how do you deal with those who would use you? Matthew 5.41, if someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Roman soldiers were allowed to force Jews to carry a burden for them for one mile. This is like the kind of person who would use us. They see us simply as a tool to be used. And so what do you do in this situation? 
What Jesus does is he invites you to see the other person as a human being. A Roman soldier is typically younger, maybe even a boy. They're a stranger in a strange land. They're probably very poor themselves. All he gets from the people he is around is local hostility. So here's an idea. You finish his mile for him. You look him in the eye and say, you look tired. Can I give you some more help? I'll go with you another mile. It is completely unheard of. You know, I'm going to blow your mind. You know, that's, that's what it is. He just totally blows the guy's mind. Nobody does that. Who sends in a tip to the IRS? Nobody. Nobody. Oftentimes when we face difficult people, we think of them as deliberately unlikable rather than as creations of God that he dearly loves. They are people with their own stories. Jesus calls us to remember that the person we don't like is a human being made in God's image. We must take time to imagine how they feel, how they're treated, how we treat them. And when we ask what would help them become the person intends for God, that God intends for them to be, God, how do I help them become that person as well? This is why Jesus says, John 13:35. Hold on, everybody. John 13:35. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This is why it is so important to Christ. Because He doesn't take you off the planet. He leaves you here to make a difference. And how you love those around you will be the greatest witness for who He is, for the glory of who the Father is, by how you treat one another. In the ancient world, the rabbis had a saying, Full repentance is shown when a person is subject to the same situation in which he had sinned, in which he had fallen once before, only this time he does not sin. You and your life may have failed at loving other people like God loves most of your life, but your life is not over yet. It is not over yet. And you can find a way to do this through the strength of His Spirit. Jesus as the center, listening to who He is, loving like God loves, learning from the Master. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to Himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against Him. And He committed to us, His people, the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though He were making His appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Who has God made you to be? His ambassador, his child, his representative, all through the power of Christ. It is Jesus we must turn our lives over to to have any hope of ever being whole or who he calls us to be. And that is good news of the gospel. You can be made new. If you're a believer, you have been made new. And when you are made new, how will people know that? John 13.35 says... By this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. That's how they will know. This morning, we invite you guys to communion. And communion is the place where we surrender our lives to Christ. And when you take that crack and you break it like his body was broken for you and I, you dip it in the wine of the grape juice, which reminds of his blood that was shed for you and I. And if you have someone, something against somebody else, if you know somebody has something against you, go and seek them out before you take communion. Go and seek them out. Because by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Communion is a serious place of surrender of our lives. And we must do our best to live how God calls us to live in this.
We're also going to worship God through song. The band's going to come up, do a couple of these songs. And as they do, you are invited, you know, before communion to seek somebody out if you need to seek somebody out. Seek reconciliation. Be that ambassador that God calls you to be. We're going to worship God through prayer. There will be some deacons and elders in the back. And if you have a hard time with forgiveness and love and grace and becoming this person who God made you to be, go and pray with them. Uh, If you feel really weird about going to the back of the hallway, they'll be hanging out up here after service. You can talk to them up here at the front of the stage. Uh, There's offering boxes on the sidewall and in the back, and we give because God gave so much to us. Giving is then part of our worship, so we give you that opportunity every single week. We worship God through fellowship. There's stuff in the back. Uh, I don't know what's left. Cookies and cheesecake or something, coffee. Go eat some of that. Get to know somebody else. And then you can practice loving one another as God calls you to love. But love outside of these walls. How you live your life outside of these walls to me is so much more important than how you live inside these walls. I mean, if you are on your best behavior and here's like, oh, at church, I've got to be nice to my wife. I'm at church. Be nice to your wife outside of church. Be nice to your friends outside of these walls. Because that is where people need to see the love of Christ on display is outside these walls. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So love one another. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that you would help us to be a people who truly love each other. And God, we know that's a process and we know it is not easy. It is hard to do. But you have given so much to us as your people. that we ask that you teach us how to live and show that to other people as well. Father, we know in other people's lives around us, we are the difficult people they have to deal with. And so when we are difficult like that, I ask that you would show us that and that we could begin to change because that is also loving those around us. Father, we know that you love us more than we could ever imagine. Convict our hearts to understand the depth of your love and grace as well so that we can begin to love like you love. And thank you for loving us more than we can ever imagine. Amen.